0: we doing sci-fi stuff today? Only thing missing is Boymore. He's gotta be having the time of his life.
1: Ah! Red alert! I'm starting to think this jam session's got too many licks and not enough comps. What does that even mean?
0: Transfer
1: complete. Hello, and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge,
0: this is Tyler Orton stating the obvious.
1: <laughs> and we're here this week for the 2021 current state of Trek, a you know our annual symposium where we get together and discuss all the various facets of the franchise, all the shows on the air, convention scene, and talk about uh, you know kind of the temperature of the franchise at this given moment.
0: Yeah, I, I say this every year, but it's just strange to think that the first time that we ever did this, we were talking about the possibility of another Kelvinverse movie. And how <laughs> that's the most that we had to look forward to in the current state of Star Trek. And, and now we're, it, it's just riches upon riches of uh, Star Trek content being produced every year. So, um, Cam, let, let's maybe start off with what's going on with the convention scene here when it comes to Star Trek. Because it's a weird year. I, uh, a weird year and a half, I could uh, say that as well. Um, mm, yeah. Maybe I'll start with this. You, We always go to the Vegas convention, but one thing that we were looking forward to was the Vancouver Sci-Fi Summit, which is run by Creation Entertainment. Those are the same folks behind the Star Trek Las Vegas, which is now known as 55 year mission because of licensing issues with CBS. And I, I, I was intrigued. It had like a great slate of guests. Uh, it wasn't just from Star Trek. It was from like a wide menagerie of different science fiction properties. I, I like that diversity. You and I have been um, rather underwhelmed by Fan Expo here in Vancouver the last few years. Where if somebody's into anime, more power to them. But you and I are not anime friends, fans. And, and that's kind of what they've been leaning towards the last couple years increasingly so i i was kind of bummed out that uh this sci-fi summit was cancelled but it's completely understandable in the pandemic it was supposed to happen in july if you look at how things are where we live in uh vancouver british columbia you just would not have been able to have an event like this until september at the earliest and there's the border issues but um yeah, what do you think, you know, kind of this sci-fi summit, if it comes back next year, what do you think that it can bring at least to the Vancouver convention scene, Cam?
1: Yeah, it's something that I really hope does eventually happen because uh, my first Star Trek convention was in Vancouver. Um, they held one in 2010 and I went and um, saw, you know, a lot of the actors that now I've seen several times, but it was such a um, discovery for me at the time to happen upon the Star Trek scene in my own backyard. And the fact was, you know, once you and I became friends, it was kind of like, yeah, they don't do Star Trek conventions in Vancouver anymore. Sorry. And so we went to fan expos where, you know, you'd see Jonathan Frakes, you'd see usually one, maybe two Trek actors there, but a lot of the time it was Um, You know, you say anime stuff, I say CW superhero show stars. Like, that was (laughs) the primary focus, so it was kind of frustrating. Much more of a general con. So, like, the Sci-Fi Summit promised just that extra geekiness where we could really delve into the franchise. And it's kind of a whole room of people on board for specifically Star Trek versus, you know, Tyler, we've gone to a lot of these, um, you know, these panels at at, uh, Fan Expo. And it often just feels like a lot of people just want to sit down for a few minutes. Like, it doesn't feel like people who are excited to see the stars who are on stage. Yeah.
0: Like, hopefully it makes a comeback. But I remember it, it was, like, postponed, like, a year ago as well. And then they actually set a new date for it. And they did not do that this time. They just kind of canceled it. So I don't know if there's a guarantee that it'll come back. And that's kind of a disappointment. It will happen in other U.S. cities, I think. What was it, Cam? Like, Jacksonville, Florida, and maybe like New Jersey somewhere. Does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. yeah
1: that that kind of rings a bell, but it wouldn't shock me if one shows up in Seattle in the future that maybe we can go to um, some nearby US cities. Uh, it's the sort of thing though that I think is necessary if you know, like the Star Trek brand is very strong right now. and if you are creation and you can't do the official, but you can do these unofficial const and you have these contacts for all these Star Trek stars, it makes a lot of sense. To get them out to these smaller cons because i mean money can be made right now there's more of an appetite more of an interest and you know with the sci-fi summit one of the things that was notable was it was heavily loaded on newer star trek actors than older ones and so it is a lot of the okay these actors are on tv right now or are streaming let's get them out there to the public and build up that fandom with the new generation. And I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. Some of those border issues would not have been a problem since, you know, there's so many sci-fi shows that are filmed in Vancouver and Toronto. So I think that could have been one of the more practical elements of it, but yeah. uh, Why don't we mosey on over to Star Trek, Las Vegas, which I guess is now, you know, 55 year mission. It is going on. Vegas is open, baby. Um, It's unclear whether you and I will be going. I'm guessing probably it's going to be too impractical with border restrictions, even though those restrictions will be loosening up somewhat in July. Um, I think there's also just maybe um, a feeling of uncertainty within a lot of the international uh, travelers going to Vegas and what it means for just getting back into their own home countries, quarantine conditions as well. I, I, For those who do attend, it's going to be pri- primarily an American affair, which, you know, I, I, it's a happening in the U.S. It's uh, an American franchise, so I get that. But um, I don't know. What, what do you think that the vibe would be like there, Cam? Do you get a sense of, like, like will it feel like any regular years or just going to be a notably kind of um, different feel to it?
1: Well, I guess first up, I think there'll be less people there. It just won't be as busy and bustling as it is some years. But... Uh, For those that don't really know or have never attended Las Vegas, this is the first year in a while where they haven't had CBS sponsorships. So, you know, back in the day, CBS would actually assist with a lot of things, whether it was um, maybe specific guests, but also a lot of props, um, a lot of decorations in the hallways. There was um, a lot of official Star Trek merch and, you know, all these sorts of things going on. And this year, without that, there's a lot of question marks as to what does the con even look like? Um, You know, we used to have all these like photo ops in the hallways for things like the torture booths from the Mirror Universe from Discovery or, you know, all these various, you know, kind of uh, Borg regeneration chambers, another example. Is that stuff all gone now? So like, what does a con look like without that? So I think that is part of the reason that people are kind of I don't know, a little wary of this year or even just uncertain what to expect. But also, you know, you rule out the international audience. A lot of people aren't going to be able to meet their friends there. It is a weird year for Vegas. One of the weirdest in all the years that I've been going. I mean, it is the weirdest year in all the years that I've been going to the con. So, yeah, I'm just, if I can't go, I'm really curious what sort of the stories coming out of this year's convention are because it'll give me a little bit of a hint as to what to expect in the future for, um, you know, the 55-year mission or I guess next year, the 56-year mission.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it'll be interesting that, like, some of those constraints that CBS imposed upon creation entertainment, you know, they'll be freed from that. You know, I think they were very particular Mm -hmm. about some of the panels that were going to happen. Like, Like, I remember... We've been doing panels for, you know, five, six years and we would have to pitch to Creation who would then have to get the clearance from CBS because I think they wanted to give it the AOK. And so this year, for instance, there's going to be a panel devoted to Star Trek fan films, which was not something CBS would have ever allowed, you know, back in the day. I think that could be kind of an interesting thing that we would not get uh, during any other year. Um, but there's other like weird things like... Um, They're not allowed to call the bar where everybody hangs out uh, in in the evenings um, within the convention space. They're not allowed to call it Cork's Bar anymore. Now they get to call it Jimmy's Place. And uh, Cam, why are they calling it Jimmy's (laughs) Place?
1: Well, uh, the rooms are all named after um, deceased Star Trek stars. So you have, like, the Roddenberry Ballroom, the Nimoy Ballroom. Um, And I guess in this case, they want to name the... uh, I guess the food area, after um, Jimmy Doohan, who played Scotty, of course, on the original series. But when you just call the room Jimmy's Place, that is the most generic name for a bar or eatery you could ever conjure up.
0: You could have come up with something just a little bit more creative, right? Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you went and named it, you know, René's, after René Auberginois, I think that is a little more distinct at the very least.
0: Yeah, okay, um... I don't know I I will be monitoring... like if you and I can't go I you and I we have not officially ruled it out for ourselves we we just are we're in that kind of wait and see sort of mode it's still 2 months away I think you and I will have to probably make a decision within the next month or I think maybe a decision will be made for us within the next month yeah. but um If I'm not able to go, I will be monitoring, you know, the uh, Star Trek Las Vegas Facebook groups uh, all week long. To me, I I don't think I'm going to get, like, bummed out seeing all these people do it. I'm mostly just kind of that curious cat wondering what the experience is going to be like for them versus how it was like previous years. And I think this is maybe an opportunity for us to anticipate uh, 2022 even more.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels like there's going to be a shakeup just within the convention world because... You know, the um, Star Trek Las Vegas has been the mecca for Star Trek fans in these summers um, for several years now. But, you know, Tyler, uh, you maybe want to lead into it, but there's something else on the horizon. And it may be competing with uh, the Las Vegas experience.
0: Well, as I said, you know, licensing issues with uh, between creation and CBS. And so CBS is now employing uh, Pop, which they are a professional... Uh, convention-facilitating sort of service. Uh, it's going to be in April 2022 in Chicago. Um, I hear that weather in Chicago in April is, is rather unpredictable, uncertain whether we need to bring parkas with us or bring, like, a hmm. hoodie. Um, I think you and I are, are are fairly certain we'll be going to that. I think a lot of those uncertainties that we talk about, look, if, if things aren't looking well <laughs> in april 2022 that i think we're really screwed as planet Hmm. earth so um we also it seems as if a a lot of our friends are going to be attending that as well i'm excited about this even though i some people have said that read pop maybe their conventions are a little bit more sterile compared to that creation entertainment touch and things are a little bit more regimented you know say what you will about creation i think you know there's always critiques but i i I think they always try to do their best, and they keep it fun, they keep it loose, and I wonder how pop will adapt to kind of that Star Trek landscape.
1: Yeah, me too, because I really like the cons that Creation put on. I think the Vegas one... You know, look, you can nitpick anything and creation are a business running a, you know, event. And anyone can complain about certain aspects of the event. But I think overall, the vibe is so much fun. It feels like a real celebration of Trek fandom. I absolutely love the Vegas convention. It's been such a part of my life for, you know, basically 10 years now. Um, I'm really excited to try out this uh, Chicago Con. But, like, the worry is always... You know, Tyler, you and I, we're really into, like, pop culture stuff. You know, we go to all these movies and we watch TV, all that sort of stuff. But you and I have, like, no interest in, like, San Diego Comic-Con. And my worry is always that, you know, this more regimented, um, you know, Star Trek convention could kind of lose me. The way that when I hear stories about, um, you know, the destination Star Trek overseas where you have to pay to go to the panels that just like that causes me to check out the second i hear that so i'm I'm very hopeful that the chicago one can kind of look at the landscape of conventions pick out what works what doesn't and try to create a uh, event that actually pleases star trek fans the way that i think STLV has for many years
0: well do you remember when we first started going to the vancouver fan expo uh cons and and i think it was actually a different company running it back then and you'd they would clear you out of the convention ballroom every single time a panel was over, and then you had to go back and line up again if you wanted to get inside. It's a lot of like stuff like that where I, I prefer creation of just like, you get an assigned seat or else you can sit in the general seating area. They just keep it loose. They keep it easy, they keep it practical. I get the sense maybe read pop is gonna be um, yeah, not quite that <laughs> same deal. But Hmm. I'm also very curious how a Star Trek convention will feel different, uh, you know, with a different company in charge. The other thing is, like, you mentioned before, like, CBS was quite generous with a lot of the stuff that they would provide to the convention. Like, they were sinking dollars into that. Do do you remember that year that they had the um, big uh, Mac makeup display within the convention and they, like, built, like... Uh, 10 forward and and main engineering and all that like it was just like how much did that cost them and it's just quite amazing to see cbs willing to put those dollars in there i wonder if if they want to make a big splash for their first um official star trek convention in uh, quite a few number of years
1: i would have to believe so because you also have the um star wars cons going around every year Um, the celebrations there's a lot of specific fan events that are getting bigger and bigger there's the d23 which is all the disney stuff um i'm hoping that you know cbs is looking at those cons and they have massive turnouts they are very highly publicized events and i hope they're looking at the strengths of those and going okay let's do that for star trek because um i mean there's a lot of money in the con industry and i'm sure they want to make it (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, Okay. So, so far, I think
1: Will Wheaton is the only
0: confirmed guest. Um, I've never seen him at a convention before. I, I think he was at Fan Expo a couple years ago, but I don't believe he was at a panel or else if he was, I missed it, which seems odd And that I don't know why I would have missed his panel. I, I just remember trying to get a photo and it being like ridiculously expensive to do like a photo op with him. So, was it that?
1: Um, was it maybe that just his panel was on a different day? Because I don't think you went all three days the last time, did you? Yeah,
0: I may have just been really clinical with um, which days I was going to go, just because um, yeah, you have to invest money in like, do I just go only on the day that the only person I'm interested in is Will Wheaton, or do I stack it up uh, on another day where there's a couple more actors? That's yeah, it could have been that as well. So mm. I'm intrigued. I, I I would love to see Will Wheaton at a convention. I. They must have the capacity. If it's official, to really um, push the newer casts into this official convention, I think you need to do this. You need to bring in the new blood, um, keep fans engaged. Um, I I, I love all the old casts, but Cam, let's be honest. We've all heard the same stories. Like how many times at this point, you know? So not the same. Oh, just a couple. (laughs) Yeah, just a couple. And look, it, you don't need the same stories. Uh, a lot of it is just could be like Marina Sirtis just um, tearing uh, apart like Jonathan Frakes or Michael Dorn, just ridiculing those guys on stage. And you'll have fun with that. So I, I, I'm intrigued. And I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm putting all my anticipatory uh, hopes, you know, onto Chicago versus Las Vegas at this point for me personally.
1: I'm also really excited about just new approaches to panels because um, I'd like to think they're going to try some different things, have different ways of moderating, maybe a different approach to questioning. Um, That's something that like Vegas, some years are really strong, other years or even just other panels, you and I have kind of sat there and looked at each other with kind of the look of, oh boy, I don't know what's going on at this point. Like, um, Do you remember the time that uh, Sunika Martin-Green had to recap? two seasons worth of Star Trek Discovery plot points.
0: <laughs> that was um, that was probably the worst panel I've ever been to. Like, there have been train wreck panels where um, y- y- it's like you're sitting there eating popcorn. Um, Cam, I- I'm not exaggerating. People were falling asleep in their chairs. <laughs> were-, were they not?
1: They were, but it should also be noted, the Star Trek uh, Las Vegas event is five days long, okay? And there's a lot of night events. So you <laughs> are not sleeping a lot. The Sonequa Martin-Green panel, I don't remember if it closed out the convention, but it was near the end on the Sunday. So after five days of partying, they were expecting people to sit there and listen to Sunica Martin-Green basically just read the uh, plot synopses off Wikipedia for various episodes of Star Trek Discovery. It was brutal.
0: It, it wasn't her fault, though. Like, we should emphasize that. Nope. As the The moderator sat there with a microphone, stared at a sheet of paper, and essentially said... Okay, so in episode one, you did this and this. Uh, Comment on that. And so she's like, oh yeah, this happened and that happened. And they said, okay, so then episode two, this happened and that happened. Comment on that. And and, and like we were looking at each other going like, what is going on? Like, like, is this going to be the entire hour with her? It was. We could not believe it. It was literally just the worst panel I've ever attended. And I don't understand. Like, was... Was the moderator afraid of, like, the uh, questions that she was going to get from the audience that might not have been into kind of the, the new era of Kurtzman Star Trek? Was that it, Cam?
1: I, I mean, the thing is, they yeah they have people lined up for questions for much of that panel, the way they do for pretty much any star up on stage. And they do ask you what your question's going to be before you get to the mic. They have a um person standing there to take the mic away immediately if something goes off. I... I, like, I understand exactly what you're saying is that being a, a perhaps a precaution they were taking, but it also feels like they have all the precautions in place to s- shut this down immediately. So, I, I don't know. I'm genuinely baffled. I have no answers.
0: <laughs> I, I'm confident that moderator will not be in Chicago uh yeah and um so hopefully that won't happen again but um it'll give her another chance to actually talk about the things i I remember she like was kind of ushered off stage and she was like oh i had so much more to say like didn't you think it was weird that um my husband in real life played my father on the show like like she had stories chambered that she wanted to share that she never got to do so there you go
1: so let's uh you know read pop Pay attention, we don't want this at the uh, Chicago Star Trek event. Yeah, yeah.
0: All righty. Okay, so we've talked about kind of the state of the convention experience. Why don't we mosey on over into the state of the TV franchise here? Um, Star Trek Lost, uh, <laughs> I was going to say Star Trek Las Vegas <laughs> again, but Star Trek Lower Decks uh, coming yeah. back August 12th. I think you and I are very excited to do that and resume our weekly reviews. I think we had just an absolute blast last summer watching that series week to week. Um, we'll be getting our DVD or our, our Blu-ray sets um, imminently. Uh, I know we promised like a review of the Blu-ray sets like a month ago, but just Amazon has not shipped them to us here in Canada quite yet. We also ordered the Steel Steelbook uh, limited edition cases, and I, I think that is probably what um, made our deliveries a little bit late. But, um, Kim, what, what are you most anticipating... Uh, in, in terms of either like kind of characters to revisit or kind of storylines to revisit when it comes to season two of Discover or uh, Lore
1: so there's two things. Number one is everything going on on the Titan with Boimler having transferred over there. I think that's a really fun way to kick off a season is to have uh, the comparison between the two ships. And Jonathan Frakes, we talked about him last week. I think there's a lot of opportunity to have a lot more hilarity going on with that character as well as Troy. So, bring all of that. Also, there was an interesting comment that um, Mike McMahon made um, in terms of... Creator of the show. Yeah, um, in terms of things to, um, you know, that they wanted to explore going forward. And, like, one of the things he mentioned was the Pakleds being a serious threat in the galaxy. And I'm like, that's what I want. Like, give me more of a fleshed-out alien species that is kind of like a big bad on a show for a while. I- I'm kind of tired of, you know, Klingons, Romulans, Borg, all that sort of stuff. Like... Packlets is kind of crazy but let's go for it like let's delve into that aspect of star trek mythology so what about you
0: well i, I think that really does kind of exemplify what we enjoyed so much in season one is, is they're clearly having fun within you know playing around in the star trek universe you know uh have fun with the tropes you know subvert our expectations make us care about these brand new characters bringing in Packlets, doing something fun with that uh That's not something you're necessarily going to see on Star Trek Picard, for instance. Uh, So I'm definitely looking forward to the Titan storyline and and really where um, the the Freeman and Mariner kind of relationship goes to, which they did address uh, quite a bit of depth in uh, Crisis Point and uh, No Small Parts. So I think it'll just like... I I can't imagine being disappointed by season two based on how much they really got in a role, especially in the last half of the first season. I think maybe the first half, or at least maybe the first three or four episodes, we were like, okay, you know, this is interesting. Maybe a little bit later on the laughs than we were initially expecting. But I think we really kind of um, got in tune with what the show is doing. And I I, I just adore this series. It's my favorite um, Star Trek series currently on the air at this point.
1: It felt like when you got to the back half of season one, the ambition became a lot more apparent. When you had, um, and my memory for episode titles has gotten a little, uh, a little uh, fuzzy. Um, It'll be back once we uh, cover the Blu-rays, but you know there was the episode where they did like the tribute to the movie era, and like that was such an ambitious episode, and that's what I want to see more of. It feels like they're very confident in the vision of what the show exactly is, who their characters are. And the fact that, you know, they're talking about an ongoing Packlid threat and episodes aboard the Titan. And I want to see more of the Lower Decks world just being expanded and go crazy. And another thing I think I would also like to see a lot more of is uh, fleshing out the um, senior crew. We saw Freeman got a lot to do in Season 1. I want to see more. Like, what's Dr. Tana have going on? I want to see more of that character. Let's start delving into, um, you know, all these various... Um, you know, these other crew members. I think that's going to be really interesting to see going forward.
0: It sounds like you're pitching a spin-off series called Star Trek upper decks.
1: Uh, I, give it to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and <laughs> the, epi- off.
0: Yeah. the episode you're talking about, uh crisis point, which was kind of set on the holodeck, but really kind of, uh, that was a penultimate episode, but it, it played with kind of what we expect from cinema and Star Trek as well. And that, I agree with you, Cam, like that was like a, a high point in season for me. Um, why don't we talk about uh discovery season four because it seems as if that will be premiering in the fall maybe uh, soon after if not right after lower decks uh, concludes its second season um yeah we saw like a a, a teaser trailer we've mentioned it on the show before it did not really fill us with much optimism and that maybe the show has learned lessons from season three which i think you and i just it was our least favorite season that discovery has done up until this point right
1: yeah by far um i'm a big fan of the first two seasons of discovery like season one i think maybe more so than two has uh, its issues but i was really on board with the first two um you know warts and all but season three i was just i just remember struggling and i remember by the end just thinking like this is Just such a blah season that I just want it to be over. And I don't want to feel that way in Star Trek. I don't care if I get an episode that's horrible. But the fun of Star Trek is that you'll get a, you know, (laughs) I don't know, masks. But then you may bounce back to a really fun episode the next week. And it felt like Discovery Season 3, more often than not, was just like a straight line of meh. Which I do not want at all in a franchise.
0: Yeah, we liked Forget-Me-Not. We liked People of Earth. There are some moments thrown about but there's just also just some very bizarre choices and just you you know think about how they kind of unceremoniously tossed away like character like non for like a strange reason and it was essentially we found out a few episodes later it's like oh well the writers want to make a 22 year old ensign from the 23rd century the executive officer of a 31st century ship and it's just like what like what is going on here and then you know Saru kind of like he he goes through Vorahai in season two he's now a predator sort of species at this point and then in season three he's in command and he turns into kind of this spineless babysitter for a radioactive man-boy all in the name of Hmm. elevating Burnham into the command seat after again for the upteenth time she disobeyed orders proved herself to be uh, unreliable and a mutineer but she's proven right by the end as she always is she's always validated by the end and I I get really annoyed if this is where we're going to go with the character in which she keeps disobeying the rules but um, doesn't matter she was she was right but maybe for the wrong reasons it's just kind of it's it's grating on me at this point because it now just feels like a cliché or a trope that the series indulges in uh, more often than not.
1: And it felt like in Season 1 and 2, while it was Burnham very much steering the ship of that show, um, the supporting cast, they felt like they were mostly getting a decent amount to do and that their characters were um, continuing on their own little journeys. Like I remember us complaining about Stamets, I think, in Season 2, but by and large, most of the cast felt well-served, wherein like, Season 3, a lot of them just kind of, they may have had moments, but their actual journeys through the season felt kind of jumpy. And then they would introduce a character like Adira, who I thought was really strong out of the gate. And then like, what is Adira doing by the end of the season? You're like, "Uh, honorary child of Stamets and Culber. Like, that's the story? Okay. And I know there was an event recently where they talked about how Grey um was a character they would be looking very strongly at boosting up in season four i think that is something that i take a little bit of uh you know i take to heart because i think that's a character that you and i scratched our heads about who gray was as an individual throughout that entire season because it was just played as sort of this saintly character with no conflict this doesn't feel like someone who we can really relate to in any way just because it doesn't feel like you know someone that is human beings we could it's it's like a saintly character so i'm hoping in season 4 we can look at characters like Adira like Grey these new additions heck maybe even you know the radioactive man boy you mentioned earlier and actually make them characters that feel fleshed out and interesting to an audience
0: i i just think that if you're going to introduce your first trans character into star trek which they did with Grey you need to do it right and they really fumbled the ball by like turning them into like a ghost in Adira's head that was never really explained until they said it's not really a figment of Adira's imagination. But then, like, they, like they never paid off whatever uh, Gray's hook was. Like, uh, and by hook, like I, I am referring to kind of this ethereal sort of presence like it, like it was just such a bizarre storyline and, and like how do you guys like kind of ruin that when, when you're trying to catch up to kind of like you kind of where we are now in the 21st century and representation and i i just i can't believe that, that that's how they handle that character and like as you said it, it was ...tough to relate to that character, and that's not what you want to say if you are introducing a trans character into Star Trek for the first time. You want to make that character um, uh, relatable. You want to make uh, show people that might be in, like, ver- think about that, that kid in a small community that w- would have a lot of, you know, conflicted feelings about themselves because they don't see people like Grey in their day-to-day lives. I don't know if Grey the Saint is really doing justice to what, what that character could have been and that's it's just another one of those frustrations that i had with uh, discovery season three
1: because i think they cracked adira like what makes that character work it's a very charismatic character there's a lot of you know strong moments given to them throughout the season whereas ian alexander as gray there's charisma there like it comes across on screen but it feels like an actor having to do all the heavy lifting because the show's just like I don't know, just beam and smile. Like, that's, that's what you get to do. You know, like, you're not being given scenes that make you interesting as a fully fleshed-out character. Because, look, Star Trek is full of, you know, just good characters. Like, people that are good. And so I don't think it's just the fact that Grey is played as, you know, too good a character. Because that's fine. That's lots of Star Trek characters. But... They should have insights. They should have intelligent things to say. They should be funny if they're kind of funny characters. Like sh- There should be quirks to their personalities. We just don't have that with Grey. And I'm sure it's easily fixable in season four. And so I'm hoping they actually examine that and deliver. Because otherwise, like, if I'm an actor like Ian Alexander, I, I think my talents may be better elsewhere. Is it just
0: me or was it, it Culburn and Stamets that probably had, like, the best character journey throughout season three?
1: Um, oh yeah, I would think of the um supporting cast other than Burnham. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Burnham's wasn't one I was particularly on board with. It's just very prominent. But I would say the uh, Stamets Cobra one was probably the most interesting.
0: Yeah, I I hope they keep fleshing that out, especially with the Adira-Grey connection to those characters, because like, it has potential there. That That's what season three of Discovery showed me. I hope they kind of figure out what, what to do with Saru going forward, because I think they kind of... They really, they didn't ruin the character for me in season three, but they really did a disservice to that character uh, for me in in season three. Cam, I've said before, you you, you got me a Saru Funko Pop for my birthday. It's still in prominent display. I like the character. I just want more for the character. I I want better of the character at this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, kind of jumping off of Grey, you know, Grey is a kind of recurring guest character on the show. Like, it's not a main credits character. Um... The same could be said for Detmer. I want to see the treatment of these characters where maybe they're not in every episode, but what they, you know, go through on the show matters. And, like, Detmer was an example. I liked that they were giving her more to do in a season. Like, she had a little story arc, but they didn't pay it off in an interesting way. They set up some really interesting things, then shuffled off aside because we've got to pay off Burnham. You know, like, whatever her journey is. Like, I get it. You don't necessarily want... Every character, every week, that's fine. But make their little moments matter.
0: Okay, so I I wonder this. Uh, This is kind of like a broader um, topic, uh, but we are discussing the current state of Star Trek, and I think we often kind of conclude that Star Trek, the best format for Star Trek is not necessarily films. Uh, That's been a little bit inconsistent over the last, you know, four decades. Mm. It's TV series that it's best suited for, but is it serialized television? I, I wonder if like the way that TV is serialized right now just doesn't actually uh, play to Star Trek's strengths, or is it just a matter of fact that um, maybe the writers that have been doing the serialized version of Star Trek um, just haven't quite cracked the code of how to do it in a way in which you kind of have like, a good solid character balance as well as balancing kind of full stories while continuing on like plot threads uh, you know, across the entire season.
1: I just think it's all execution. And I just don't think these writers have cracked the serialized format for Star Trek. I think it's completely doable. Um, it does remove a little bit of what I like about the franchise, which is genre hopping, bouncing around to different planets every week, you know, finding different adventures. But I'm also open to going down a different direction with the franchise. They've been doing that for, you know, the the classic route for like 50 years. So it's about time to try something different. It just feels like these writers are getting hung up on things that aren't that interesting. And also, it's like they're so determined to do something different that they're also stripping out the elements that maybe work really well that don't necessarily have to be the main focus, but could very much hold their show up you know, a little bit stronger.
0: Yeah, I guess DS9 and Enterprise crack the code for serialization as well as being able to find that character balance and then genre hop and have you know full you know stories told in the course of one week so what why not you know discovery or Picard um I, yeah <laughs> i I just I know what you're saying because like I don't think we explicitly said it but that teaser that we were alluding to at the top it's talking about how there's a big gravitational anomaly in the quadrant and I'm just like is that going to be the season-long mystery? Like, I didn't find the Red Angel arc very interesting. I didn't find the Burn very interesting. And I wonder if this gravitational anomaly is going to be the equivalent of those two. And if that's the case, I, 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 I'm very worried about season four.
1: I really am, too. And I hope, you know, a year plus from now or whenever Discovery season four ends, we're on the podcast being like, Boy, were we wrong. Let's play some clips of how wrong we were in predicting Season 4. But uh, they just haven't given me a reason to have faith at the moment. And uh, I want to have faith of the heart, Tyler.
0: I, I have no doubt about that. Okay. Uh, well, Kim, why don't we jump over to uh, Prodigy? Because it seems as if that will premiere after uh, Discovery. Um, maybe by end of year, early next year. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued by this children's show. It will be an animated children's show for Star Trek. Uh, essentially, it looks as if you know be uh, 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 something where like Trekkie parents might be able to watch it with their kids. I, I hope they're kind of make it compelling for adults. I don't know if you and I will be doing weekly reviews for it. I think we'll definitely do the premiere, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Maybe we'll check in on the show every like once a month or every six weeks or something like that. But um, for those that don't know, it's kind of like, uh, I, I guess, a bunch of tweens find a starship. And there is a holographic representation of Janeway there who is there to kind of mentor and guide them. So I, I'm I'm intrigued by the premise, to say the least.
1: Yeah, um, it's another one kind of like Lower Decks where we don't really know what to expect. And I appreciate that. And I'm excited to see what they do because I, I just think in the animation world... Um, Kind of the heavy hand of the kurtzman group they don't really get it so that it's probably like hire some good people run an animated show and great we're happy so i'm hoping that you know prodigy succeeds in the same way um lower decks has where they're kind of left to their own devices they make something interesting and it works and i'm not thrilled with the um the visual look so far of what they've shown us from prodigy but it's the sort of thing, it's kind of like complaining about characters' costumes from an upcoming superhero movie. If the storytelling's really great, I'm not going to care. I don't care if Captain America's outfit looks dorky in the in the uh, first Avengers movie.
0: Well, I, I also wonder what the tone is going to be like for the show. It, it's hard to tell at this point. I, I, I would hope that it leans more towards the Ephraim and Dot short trek. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that it's going to lean more towards... The Girl Who Made the Stars, that short trick, which you and I, that, that one didn't quite do it for us. Um So, I don't know. But look, it, it's way too early to even tell at this point which one it might take after, if any of them. Who knows?
1: Yeah, like if it is along the lines of The Girl Who Made the Stars, which was fine... It's not a show you and I are capable of covering week to week. I just don't think we even have it in us (laughs) because we struggled struggled with that one. We just thought it was boring, right? It's not. I don't know that it was even boring. It was just like, "Ah, it is what it
0: is. (laughs) I, 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 I did not find it compelling, but I'll say that.
1: No, it was, I mean, it was only, I think, like, you know, nine minutes or something like that, ten minutes. But it just was like the kind of thing where I remember as I was taking notes during it. And I took very few notes because I was just like, I got nothing. Like, what am I, Tyler's going to have to carry this one <laughs> because I have nothing to say. And I think we were through talking about that episode in about, like, <laughs> I think record time for covering a new Star Trek episode. Well,
0: I'm used to carrying you on the show, so uh, there's no problem. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, coming up after that, it looks as if it'll be uh, Star Trek Picard Season 2 in early... 2022. It'll be about uh, 18 months, if not closer to two years, since we last saw uh, Picard. Or I guess Gollum Picard in this case. Um, It was a weird first season. I, I think you and I uh, were very excited by the premiere. Uh, by episode 3, we were like, okay, let's get this adventure going. Um, <laughs> By episode 4, we were like, okay, let's get this adventure going. By episode 5, we were like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> I don't want this adventure. <laughs> like, let's go back, back to Earth. More Romulan helpers. I just let's hang out with them all season long. Um, I just like. I uh, but here's the weird thing. I was way more excited to rewatch season one of Star Trek: Picard than any excitement I might feel about re-watching season three of Discovery. I, I just think that there's like some interesting elements, like a, almost kind of a, a noble failure in what happened in that first season. And like, I kind of understand what they're trying to accomplish. But my opinion is like, this is just not the kind of series I'm interested in watching. If we take Patrick Stewart or the name Picard out of it, I, I don't think I would have found this to be a very compelling or very kind of um, cogent story that that was told in the sci-fi universe here.
1: I'm wondering if part of it is, too, that, like, we all love Picard on TNG. That is not, like, a character-driven show. It's about the greater good, like, what the Enterprise is trying to do. And I think we're kind of struggling, maybe, with the fact that this show is geared ar- entirely around what Picard wants to do, and it's not, so far, tied to things I care about. And I think that's part of the problem. Like, seek out new life and new civilizations, on board. Um, I'm still not clear what Picard's doing. <laughs> it's,
0: this is like, <laughs> is this the most existential uh, Star Trek franchise, Star Trek series at this point?
1: Uh, I Yeah, I would say so. And it just feels like that's, uh, you know, an existential Star Trek isn't a bad thing in any way, shape, or form. But what they're delivering is not, it's not particularly compelling. And yet... You drop that teaser for Season 2 with Q, and I'm 100% on board. I'm super excited to see what Q's going to do, because at the very least, that character, just the existence of that character on Picard shakes up that show in some way. So that makes me at least optimistic that, hey, maybe I'm not you know a big fan of Season 1 Picard, but maybe Season 2 can turn into something that's a little more interesting, at least from, you know, where I sit.
0: This is probably not the compliment that the Picard writers want, but I I think that they were at their best when they're bringing back legacy characters last season, whether it was Data, uh, Deanna, or Will. You know, like, they hit it out of the ballpark in uh, those instances. Um, That gives me hope that they can do the same with Guinan, as well as Q, and and maybe a couple other legacy characters. So I, I think... That also exposes a, a a flaw in the series, though. It's like, it, it, does the strength of your series rest on just, like, our nostalgia for people that we grew up with and, and, and really adore as characters, like, other creations from the, the hands and minds of other writers and, and performers? Like, I don't know. Like, that, that's kind of weird, but, like, I'd rather see that than the bulk of what we got in uh, season one of Picard.
1: Yeah, it's a weird thing, and Picard's been so linked to those other characters for so long that you almost wonder, was it was it ever really possible to make a Picard show where the audience isn't just desperate for those legacy characters? Because I think it's a very unfair ask. Um, all of those new characters that have joined the show, um, they're never going to be able to deliver what those legacy ones can. They have like 10 episodes in season one. You've had decades with the original crew and like they aren't being written that well because they're you know their story is often being pushed behind what Picard wants to do it's kind of like the Burnham problem on Discovery so I feel bad for these new um actors working on Picard because I think they're capable of making interesting Star Trek characters it's just they're on a show that isn't going to give them that platform to do it, at least so far. Maybe season two will turn it around, but season one did not.
0: I'll have you know, Cam, we got to watch Rafi Torres go cold turkey and completely beat her drug addiction in the course of one episode.
1: (laughs) Well, Rios and Rafi were the two that worked the best. Um, But I just can't help but imagine what is a new Star Trek show like where those characters are on it, And there's no Picard. Yeah. And they're the ones steering the ship. Like, I think we might have had something that would be a little more interesting, even if you don't have the marketability of slapping Patrick Stewart on huge billboards and putting it up all over town.
0: I I, I 100% agree with that. Like, I I just wonder if the the show Star Trek Picard suffers from the Picard factor.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) So I just, I can't imagine any of the uh, Picard writers, not that they would ever listen to the show, but like these are not the things that you want to hear about your series like that that's <laughs> I don't know. and i don't think we're being unfair to the show like I, I i know some people might just say oh you guys just want the same old star trek you don't want to see it evolve or anything like that i i can't we've always been on record as saying we want to see star trek evolve i just don't think we'd like how they were executing it i just don't think they did it very well that's the problem
1: I'm also not a fan of when Star Trek goes back to the well, like in, say, Into Darkness, where you get the replications of moments from, you know, Wrath of Khan. So I would prefer that Star Trek was trying new things. It just feels like Picard was, in some ways, a noble experiment where I admire them for not going just full-on bring in the legacy characters and let's have, the you know, the TNG crew back out on one final mission. Like, they could have tried that. They could have thrown money at all those actors to get them back on board But they instead wanted to tell a very strange story about Golem Picard. Um, You kind of have to admire them for doing that because it's bizarre and weird and it really did polarize fans. And a lot of properties, um, you know, outside of Star Trek, do not want to polarize fans. They want to give them what they want. Picard didn't. So... I kind of like their attitude. I just don't really care about the execution. Well,
0: the other thing is they, they admitted, or the executive producer, Kiva Goldsmith, admitted uh, by the end of the season that they didn't really know where they were going with the story. They, they um, kind of threw out what the original plan was, and then they're just kind of making it up as they go along. And it's very clear uh, that that was the case when we did our rewatch, because you get lines throughout the season when they're talking about uh, Soji. And the uh, the nefarious Romulan characters are like, what is her plan? She has a plan. And you realize, nope, no plan at all. <laughs> it's just kind of like, all right. <laughs> And same with the writers, no plan at all.
1: <laughs> it's so weird that that's happened on um, season one Discovery and season one Picard, where you've had these moments where characters say things like that. And it's very clear that no, no, they were making up as they went. I don't know many franchises that make those sorts of mistakes, those really clumsy moments. I remember you and I poking a lot of fun at the first Amazing Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield that had all these setups for um, various plot elements that were completely dropped throughout the movie. There was like five different subplots introduced that went nowhere. And it feels like you see those remnants in these first seasons of the Kurtzman Star Trek shows.
0: I'm still wondering whatever happened to Irfan Khan in that first Spider-Man movie, (laughs) (laughs) Cam. That was so weird. He just left hanging in his car from a spider web after being set up as, like, this kind of, like, antagonist character for the first, like, uh, 60 minutes, and then... What? (laughs) It's just like...
1: Do you remember also they set up that the guy who killed Uncle Ben had a very specific tattoo? And we got like a montage of him looking for criminals with a tattoo and then dropped. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that also has Kurtzman connections to it uh, as well, doesn't it, Cam?
1: I don't think the first one did. I think he wrote he wrote the se- on the second oh, one. He okay. was one of the writers on the second okay. one. I don't think... Think he was tied to the first one, so he can uh, okay. <laughs> take that one off the the old record. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Uh, look, I, we're, we don't want to be the people that are like crapping on, like, oh, it's the Kurtzman era. I'm not into that. I think all of our criticisms are, are valid, and we're not we're, we're not like scratching at like little. Tiny details like I we don't really get caught up with like nitpicking like plot elements like that that's you could tear apart any property any movie any TV series we're more about kind of the the overall holistic kind of journey and I think this is where maybe some of those shows have kind of fallen short over the course of Discovery and uh, Picard but uh, Cam the the one that I'm perhaps most excited for but also most cautious about though is Strange New Worlds which looks like it'll be uh, premiering after Star Trek Picard Season 2, so maybe, like, spring of uh, 2022. Uh, it, it has all the elements that I really, really adored from uh, Season 2 of Discovery, which, again, it's those legacy characters, Cam. You're, you're bringing back Pike and Spock, and uh, number one, Um, it, it, I, I think Anson Mount and Ethan Peck hit it out of the ballpark with those depictions of, of Pike and Spock. Um. The executive producer, the aforementioned Akiva Goldsman, like, he was saying all the right things uh, when it came to what they hmm. want to accomplish, but he has a way with words. Like, he he often says all the right things and often doesn't necessarily deliver, but I want to have more of an episodic Star Trek, which is what it seems as if we'll we'll be getting. I think, as I was alluding to, that, I think that, well, that's maybe what Star Trek needs right now, this Kurtzman era.
1: Yeah, and we've appreciated when they've tried to kind of pay homage to the original series, not so much in the character stuff, that's worked for us as well, but in terms of just the tone, sort of that spirit of adventure, the really colorful, you know, palette of the show, like, I think it's something that is very welcome, because there's a lot of, you know, dark, gritty entertainment, Discovery is doubled down on that at points, and I kind of want to keep that stuff off to the side. Let's have more of an optimistic Star Trek show to go along with the darker Picard stuff and, you know, the more action-based um, Discovery stuff. I think Strange New World should be kind of more poppy and fun. Now, I have a quote from Rebecca Romijn about the show. It's kind of a pat-normal comment, but I want to see, you know, your reaction to one aspect of it. Um, her comment is, it's in keeping with the original series. They're standalone episodes. It's a little bit lighter. We are visiting planets. We are visiting colonies. And we are so proud of our work so far. Now, Tyler, here's my question to you. When she says colonies, do you think she means mining colonies? Well, obviously. There, there are no other kind of <laughs> colonies
0: in Star Trek other than mining colonies.
1: I saw that quote, and I immediately thought of you, and I thought, are we going to go into Star Trek's continued obsession with mining, which you have made your point to highlight as much as you can on this podcast?
0: I just don't know how people haven't clued in to the fact that all Star Trek does is talk about mining colonies. Like, it's it's truly bizarre how obsessed they are with mining on, on this show, uh, on this franchise.
1: It's like they are, but they aren't. They always want to tie mining into their stories, but they never actually delve into real mining work on the show or how these, um, you know, organizations operate. You get, I guess, the most of it probably in um, Devil in the Dark in the original series. Um, I guess there's a little bit in "Mud's Women as well in terms of the lifestyle. But, like, if you're going to do mining stuff and continue to bring up mining... Let's do an episode at least based around the mining industry in the, uh, you know, whatever century of the show we're dealing with.
0: We almost got that with Prodigal Daughter on uh, Deep Space Nine. That that was maybe the closest we got uh, to the business of mining there.
1: Mm, yeah, everyone's favorite episode. Oh.
0: So, Cam, <laughs> I've, I've got a question for you, Um, kind of related to the state of Star Trek. Uh, when we think about these returning characters, um, the ones that are kind of regular, semi-regular here, we're talking about pike and spock uh jean-luc picard seven of nine janeway now um who do you think it makes the most sense from deep space nine or enterprise characters to bring back in more of a full-time capacity much like uh we're seeing with those uh aforementioned five characters from all the other different series that they have brought back in that capacity
1: Hmm, that's an excellent question. And it feels like we're... And take away
0: all the obligations about actors, you know, whether they're on contract. Forget about that. Just what character do you think kind of would make the most sense? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, with DS9, it feels like Quark. Uh, I just think that's the character that feels like... It's not difficult to bring back Quark. And, I mean, Armin Shimmerman in the makeup is so iconic that I think there's a lot you could do there. And he's a character who... You can give us an older Quark that's very visually recognizable and audiences will love it. So that's one. You throw him up in a trailer or whatever, you know, a season preview. People are going to be excited. Um, Beyond that...
0: Can I just... uh, I don't want to pick at that a little bit. But, like, what would Quark be doing as a series regular in a different show?
1: Hmm. Well, that's the excellent question. So you're saying, okay, series regular. mm, That's difficult. Yeah,
0: well, that's right. That, that, that's those five characters, Pike, Spock, Picard, Seven, Janeway, they're all they're all series regulars there. So who would make the most sense from either Enterprise or Deep Space Nine, which they haven't plucked anyone from, to bring on as a series regular for either an existing property or maybe something down the road?
1: So wait, are you saying that now that Star Trek's being more experimental, we're not going to get our spinoff of Cheers starring Quark?
0: It might happen still. <laughs> I, I believe uh, it's all owned by Paramount. So there you go.
1: <laughs> okay, so ongoing. Um, boy. Okay, I'm going through DS9. I feel like, okay, it's probably not going to happen. But like, I feel like if Jadzia had made it to the end, I feel like she would have been a lock for her own show. Don't you feel like that?
0: Yeah, I think she could have pulled that off. The, the character then that I, I would go to is, is maybe uh, Bashir. I think Bashir could be brought on to a different series in some capacity. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Dr. Tana has an accident and uh, Bashir comes back as comedic relief uh, for the Cerritos or something. You know, who yeah. knows? Like, like, there could be room for him to work within the franchise. I, I don't necessarily want to see him come back as a Section 31 operative. I am not interested in that. Hmm. But there could be... That character has, like, a lot of layers, and he's probably the um, character that changed the most over the course of Deep Space Nine as well, and I, I'm just wondering where he is, and, and Stig El-Fadil has he has a presence to him, which is, is really cool, so uh, that, that's maybe the Deep Space Nine character that I think would be easiest or most practical, either him or Ezri, and I, I think just because of the Dax connection, too.
1: Yeah, I also wouldn't rule out O'Brien, given the sort of the nod to that character in uh in lower decks, like I could see an animated O'Brien showing up at some point uh, as an ongoing character, season to season. Probably not, but he would make a well, lot of sense.
0: What if we ever got that start or Starfleet Academy spinoff that they promised us like yeah. four years ago? Like maybe O'Brien could fit in there because that's where he ended up by the end of Deep Space Nine. Like who knows?
1: Yeah, that would actually make a lot of sense as well. So I think that's a character that. I don't think we've seen the last of O'Brien on Star Trek. I do think Cole Meany will reprise that character in some way, shape, or form in the future.
0: Yeah, Colm Meany, he did a interview on like Irish television like a week or two ago, and somebody just floated the idea by him, and he, he didn't rule it out. He's like, yeah, sure, Like uh, if the opportunity comes up, maybe. So um, what about an Enterprise character? Like, Who would kind of make the most sense... You know, you know. all things being equal, let's not get hung up about the logistics of uh, a 22nd century set show. But, like, what character would make most sense as a regular um, so- somewhere in some situation?
1: I mean, to be honest, the only character that I feel like I don't have closure on from that series is DePaul. And that is a character where I really want to know where her journey led her like that's one that you could easily bring into strange new worlds let's do it let's bring back julie Blaylock. let's continue the journey of t'paul we need kind of that vulcan continuing onwards um i don't know if tuvok will come back at some point let's get t'paul back though
0: I one hundred percent agree with you there. Uh I it'd be great if they don't even put like a grey wig on Jolene Blaylock, uh, you know, for uh her appearance on Strange New Worlds. She's just kind of looking like she's only aged ten years. Like that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's very easy to work that character into Strange New Worlds. Like, we maybe have to like bend over backwards to figure out how we could fit some of these other ones on the shows, but this character would require no work whatsoever.
0: I we should also add, uh there's no chance in hell, Jolene Blaylock will ever return to the franchise. Um, she seems to have retired from acting. I think she had like a a, a small role in that movie, uh, Sex Tape, uh, a couple years ago. Yep. But uh, beyond that, I, I think she's just devoted to being a, a full time mother. She uh, ha- has uh, an incredibly wealthy husband, so I think it's she's just living her best life and doesn't necessarily see star trek the cards at this point
1: you never know though maybe when our kids get a little older she wants to return to work a bit the opportunity may be there so i'm very hopeful that it could happen it seems unlikely but it could happen of the other enterprise characters though i think they'd all be up for it and because of the ending of that show we don't have real finality i mean you could easily write out the trip death scene even that's the only character who really had finality I kind of would like to see Archer, though, and I think part of the decision-making that goes into at least some of these shows when they're bringing a character back is who can we market, who's going to get people excited. I don't know that a lot of the Enterprise characters have the fan support um, to really get people interested or excited, but I do think Archer um, would probably make a bit of an impact.
0: Yeah, look, if there's... I think it'd be great if maybe there's a, a Discovery appearance and, like, you know, kind of temporal Cold War remnants and you go back and you meet president uh, the, the first president of the Federation has to try to inspire this um, more shattered version of the Federation somehow. Like, that, that could be kind of an interesting way to do it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of ways around it. I mean, even if they worked in, like, a, a hologram archer... In uh, Strange New Worlds. I'd be thrilled. Thrilled. Like, anything to get Scott Bakula back in there. Because I think, you know, that character of Archer struggled through a couple seasons of them trying to figure out who he was. But I think by the time you get to the end, he's a very inspiring character. And it feels like, had we gotten more seasons... Archer really would have grown into something special.
0: So, Cam, I ask you this every year, but uh, how does the current state of Star Trek stack up to right now compared with prior years?
1: Well, I mean, there's so much more content that you have to say it looks pretty good because in the past, I would have to go back and listen to that. I don't remember if it was 2014 or 15 when we did the first current state, but, like, I would love to know how we filled an hour of podcasting on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was all our anticipation about uh, the yet- unnamed Star Trek Beyond.
1: Yeah, and, like, I'm sure we were talking about, like, upcoming action figures and things like that. Uh, We don't even talk about merch in these anymore because there's so many shows. So, like, I'm feeling really good in that in the past, even in, you know, the last couple years, um, you kind of just had Discovery on the air and Picard was in development, but it was like, well, if Discovery sucks, then what? Whereas now, I have the attitude, well, if Discovery Season 4 is terrible it doesn't matter because I'll have Lower Decks, I'll have Strange New Worlds, I'll have hopefully Picard Season 2. Like, there's there's options now, even though it does sometimes feel a little dizzying when it's just constant announcements of new Star Trek content.
0: Yeah, and I, I should add, we did have a conversation a couple of weeks ago about the current state of the film franchise. So if you want more details on that, um, I you'll, you'll link to it in the show notes. But essentially... uh. We don't exactly know what's happening. There's some um, movies in development, but nothing official at this point.
1: Yeah, and I'm also curious now with Paramount Plus having launched. um, I know they've just released, or fairly recently, the Woman in Motion documentary on Michelle Nichols. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe we get some other docs and just special things related, you know, kind of Star Trek adjacent i think that could be good for fans and if all if it's all under the paramount plus umbrella that would be i think uh something that people could you know search out as well
0: well we should even mention they are doing the star trek voyager documentary and i think they are waiting for it to be that much safer to do interviews they, they didn't want to just do all these zoom calls you know that's not as much fun uh it's the same team that did the deep space 9 doc as well so i'm very excited about what uh the voyager doc is going to be all about
1: yeah that one i'm really looking forward to and you and I got to go see the DS9 one in theaters. I hope, I pray, we can go to the Voyager one in theaters at some point as well.
0: Well, just the um, communal fan experience. It was a sold out movie theater in Vancouver. Like that, it, it was an incredible experience for us to just be there with like all these other people that we knew were like Deep Space Nine fans, and um, I hope we get that chance with Voyager too.
1: Yeah, and my silver bodysuit won't look as weird at the Voyager um, showing than it did at the DS9 one.
0: Or or you're uh, you're wearing that to the F nine uh, premiere in a couple weeks as well. And, you know.
1: <laughs> Jungle Cruise, that's what it's all about. Jungle Cruise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I th- actually, you know, I want to ask you, how do you feel about the uh, the temperature of the franchise at the moment?
0: Yeah, you know, it's um, good because, as you say, like even if I'm not totally feeling like a, a, a season three of Discovery, I've got so much more to look forward to, and I, I still have hope for. You know, season four of Discovery, season two of Picard, like there, like that's kind of what I like about Star Trek. Is like you tune in every week, not necessarily knowing what you're gonna get, and no matter what, you'll you'll be surprised either way. So uh, I I look forward to continuing to be surprised, continuing to look out for updates on what's coming next, and yeah. So I I I am a high on Star Trek right now, Cam. I, I I'm not down on it at all.
1: Good to hear. And we've got the actors from Lower Decks starting the recording for season three. So there's plenty of Star Trek coming up in the, you know, in the not in the fairly distant future. So it's an exciting time. Okay. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on right over to the Facebook page at facebookcom subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next time?
0: We have a special guest lined up. For a classic episode review. Cam, we did our first classic episode review a couple months ago within the pale moonlight. We're going to follow that up with TNG classic, Darmok. It mm. will be a good one.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Voyager Doc Smith.
0: You can find me at Reportin, that's R A P O R T O N N, as in 9,7 of Silver Suit.
1: Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed.